Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Good morning, my name is Ryan Lundy and I am the Young Adults Pastor here at Emmanuel Faith. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. We'll see if you feel that way at the end, but... Um, no, it's such a joy to be with you this morning. Just as a shameless plug, if you are a young adult or you know a young adult, we meet Tuesdays at 7, usually in the young adult room. Go figure on the other end of campus. But we are out of power as of now because of the uh, renovations being done, and so we are meeting in the kids' building. But if you'd like to get connected to our ministry, be, be happy to interact with you after the service. Um, and you can also reach out Monday through Friday here through the church. We'd be happy to connect with you. Um, we also have clubs on Cal State and at Palomar, and I'm on both campuses weekly. And so, again, if you are a current, stu a current student there or you know a current student, I'd happily connect with you uh, to support you through your college years. Uh, those of you that were with us New Year's Day this year will remember that I asked to be held accountable publicly to a monthly fast. And many of you have been faithful in following up with me. I have not been as faithful as you. Uh, I hate to say I have not been able to do every month. I've been able to do most of them. Uh, but it's been such a joy to be able to meet some of you and to be able to uh, just to get to know our church family. So thanks so much for holding me accountable and supporting me and also um, introducing yourself. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, getting to know some new faces. Uh, well, two weeks ago, my wife and I celebrated our third anniversary together. And it, yes, thank you. Yeah. People are, uh, people are still surprised that we're married. And uh, can't say that I blame them. Um, she is beautiful. And I've got a great personality. So <laughs> those two things seem to go together from time to time. But We've been, I've just been so uh, appreciative of her. It's been a beautiful three years. We were able to get away to the Sierras. We love the mountains. And so it's been a sweet time for us to just reflect on God's grace to us these past three years. Um, but it's also been an opportunity for me to reflect on all that I have been introduced to these past three years and things that I had to learn that I had no idea existed. Uh, namely, how many essential oils there are in the world. There are so many essential oils, and I can name three of them, lavender, peppermint, and, oh man, I can't even remember, I can't even remember. <laughs> lavender and pe peppermint, I guess. Thieves, okay, thieves, there we go, thieves. Um, but my wife is just into all of the oils, everything essential. It seemed like our diffuser was running nonstop for the first couple months of our marriage, and our trailer was just thick with the smell of oils. It was awesome. <laughs> My wife also uh, has introduced me to organic food, which is at least 20% more expensive. <laughs> and so therefore at least 20% healthier for you, I guess, I, I tell myself as I buy it. Um, but she has introduced to me all sorts of diets and holistic living and pro-metabolic diets. I didn't even know. I've always been very much in favor of my metabolism, but apparently not everything that I eat is. I didn't know that. Uh, but my wife has introduced me to all sorts of different holistic living. And she's also into earthing, which is hippie for barefoot walking. And she loves it. If she could have her way, she'd never wear shoes again. And she would just enjoy God's good earth the way God intended. So needless to say, I've had an education these past three years of all these things that my wife is into and now I'm into because I'm married to her. And it has been a, a learning curve for me. Now, in the midst of this, 
learning experience that I've been on these past three years, the first part of our marriage was in stark contrast to what it was that I was learning. We as a, as a world were facing a global pandemic. And it was such a stark contrast for me to realize just how fixated all of a sudden all of us were on our health, our purity, of how often we washed our hands of endless sanitary habits and sanitizers, wearing masks, gloves, taking shots, you name it, all these different things that you and I did in order for us to be clean. We were neurotically obsessed with keeping ourselves from the virus and the the fear of being contaminated. I don't know if any of you washed your groceries those first couple of weeks. I'll I'll admit, I was one of them. Washed my groceries and then I realized, wow, this is kind of dumb. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) All that to say... We, all of a sudden, were fixated on a fear of contamination. It seemed like we had lost something that we had taken for granted, the security of purity. We had lost something that we didn't even know we had. And we were longing for a world that had seemed to pass us by. Turns out, I think that this desire for purity wasn't just with the pandemic. As I just laid out, there's whole industries that promise you your holistic life, pure diets, pure living. I think it taps into a human desire that in fact we have, that we have always had ever since we blew it in the garden. Our species have longed for that pure way of living where we are pure human beings living on a pure planet in pure relationship with God, and yet the more processed, plastic, polluted, diseased our world becomes, the more we're afraid that we have been hopelessly contaminated beyond repair. You see, we have a desire for the pure, and yet it seems like it escapes us at every turn. It turns out, I think, that this desire for purity is God-given. I think it's an innate desire for us as human beings. And I think, turns out, God is able to provide that purity in and through his son, Jesus Christ. That he is in, indeed capable and able to purify us from all impurities. That's exactly what we're going to be learning today in, chapter, in John chapter 12. As we discover how it is he purifies us of impurities. We're going to be learning about the what, the when, the why, and the how of purity. And as we approach our topic, turns out that our fixation with purity is not just a fad, it's also something that we have deeply in common with our ancient ancestors. If you study ancient cultures of Mesopotamia, Egypt, the Middle East, Levant, Egypt, you'll discover just how obsessed they were with purity. How many rituals and sacrifices and all sorts of complicated uh, rituals that the ancient cultures would go through in order to be pure spiritually and physically. And the Jews were no different. They took that to the nth degree. If you read the Levitical laws, you'll you'll discover that the Jews had many different ways in which they kept themselves clean for Yahweh. This included which foods to eat, which uh, things to avoid touching. If you interacted with a corpse or if uh, if you went through childbirth, you'd be ritually unclean. And in order to be welcomed back into Yahweh's presence and the presence of his people, you had to go through certain rituals and rites in order to be declared ritually clean. The Jews were 
religious about purity, and they remain so to this day, many of them. It's actually something that we see as we pick up our story at the end of John chapter 11. We're told in verse 55, in the week leading up to Passover, now the Jews, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Now Passover was that event in which God had set Israel free from slavery. He had done so miraculously through the Exodus event, and he had set them free and he had adopted them as a people of his own. And so in order to commemorate this event, the Jews would go through what they called Berechat Chametz, which is the search for leaven. And they would scour their homes, their workplaces, the public places, the temple for any trace of leaven. Which, fun fact, leaven was first introduced into human baking in Egypt. And so the sign of leaven was the sign of slavery that God had saved his people. And that this, this search for leaven was this desire to purify themselves just as Yahweh was pure. And so as the Jews are gathering together, they're purifying themselves and they desire, Lord, would you make us pure just as you are pure, Lord? Lord, we recognize what you've done for us in the Exodus. Would you do so again now? As we are under the Roman oppression and persecution, you see the Jews are anticipating that God will set them free from the foreign oppressors who persecute them today. And so into this scene of intense longing and expectancy, we read in verse 56 that as the Jews are gathering together, it says they were looking for Jesus. They were looking for Jesus. They were purifying themselves, expecting, anticipating, and they were looking for Jesus, their rightful Messiah, and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? News of this rabbi has spread throughout the entire land, and they've heard whispers of a resurrection having just taken place. Where's Jesus? Turns out, that in light of all that Jesus has done, in verse 57, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Can you believe it? This is the Pharisees' response to the ministry of Jesus. This is their response to the great deed that he just did in resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. You see, you have this scene in which the people are expecting, anticipating, longing for their Messiah... And yet the chief priests and the Pharisees are hunting him, looking for him at every turn, seeking to put him away in prison. And so Jesus, keeping a low profile, we catch up to him in John chapter 12. As he is not at the temple, but instead at a home. It tells us in verse 1, six days before the Passover... Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Paulson talked last week about how Jesus performs one of his most amazing miracles. Raises a dead man to life. Brings life from death. It's the most amazing miracle, one of the most amazing miracles that Jesus ever performs. And it's such a dramatic moment of Jesus' authority over sin and death. And so naturally to celebrate this occasion, they are having a, a feast and they've invited a party over and they are enjoying the moment with Jesus. 
News about this event has doubtlessly spread as we hear about. But there's one particular person that we're introduced to who is impacted beyond them all. One particular character who is impacted at a depth that we're blown away by. Tells us in verse 3, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, nard is described as a sweet, spicy, kind of woody smell. It's been compared to lavender. And it, compa- it, ca- it carries royal and romantic connotations. We know from the Song of Solomon that the female protagonist anoints her lover with nard. But Mary doesn't anoint Jesus' forehead, no. She anoints his feet. Now, it was custom in Jewish culture to wash a guest's feet, but with water and with a towel. Here, Mary anoints Jesus' feet, washes his feet with a pound of the most expensive perfume that she has. And she washes his feet with her hair. Now, as gnarly as your feet might be, my friends, I guarantee you it's got nothing on ancient feet. The Romans had developed a pretty impressive plumbing system and irrigation system, but for a backwater province like Judea, presumably it was only half developed. The ancient road, the public road, was a trash heap of sorts. Feces, garbage, used containers, you name it, would come into the streets and all the dusts of the, of the diseased places of the public places would gather on the feet of the people who walked. And knowing this, Mary washes her Lord and her lover with her hair. Now, hair in the ancient world was a, 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 an intimate thing. It was a symbol of femininity, and it was reserved only for a woman and her husband. And so for Mary to do this is as shocking as it is scandalous. But what I think we see, what Mary gets that no one else, that the Jews busy purifying themselves, ritually desiring purity, they miss something that Mary understands. We see from Mary's example what pure devotion truly looks like. It is not based on religious performance, but it is based on a personal surrender to Jesus. What are you willing to sacrifice for him? What are you willing to offer up to him? You see, what the Jews have is whole complicated religious system. We see quite simply the simplicity of purity. We see a woman who, understanding what the Lord has done for her, restoring her brother back to her, raising him from the dead. She's seen what the Lord is capable of doing. And the simplicity of her act stuns everybody, so much so that John includes this story in his gospel. Again, she gets it where the Jews miss it. In the intimacy of her living room, she offers pure devotion in a way that no one else does. But not everybody is impressed by what it is that she does. Reading on in verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? We're told that this is about a day's wage and given to the poor. John tells us he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Can you believe it? Think about the poor, he says. What an alibi. Meanwhile, he's stealing nickels and dimes, looking for that next great hit, that next great whatever it might be. Judas is on the hunt for himself. But I think there's something about Judas's response that all of us can unfortunately relate to. You see, I don't think Judas is just as shocked. I don't think Judas is shocked only because of how expensive the perfume is. I think he's shocked by the fact that somebody cares that much about Jesus. I think he's blown away by the fact that anybody could care about Jesus, think about Jesus, feel that way about Jesus so much that they do that. I don't know if you've ever been in Judas's shoes. Where you've seen someone in worship, seen someone in service or on mission, and the way that they care about Jesus. The way that they've surrendered their lives to Jesus. And just been shocked by it. I know that I have. I remember going to youth group, being surrounded by kids that had nothing but their bad decisions and broken families, but they had Jesus. The way that they worshiped blew me away. I remember being a junior higher and not caring what my dad, who is a New Testament professor, not caring what he had to say about anything. Meanwhile, I'm in a small group and all these other junior high boys are eating up what my dad has to say while I'm indifferent to it. I remember this past summer going to the Middle East and meeting men, women, and children who had nothing, but they had Jesus. And the way that they served, sacrificed, forgave their enemies utterly blew me away. Meanwhile, I was busy thinking about in and out and air conditioning back here at home. See, unfortunately, there's a part of Judas in all of us that the minute that we see this scandalous, shocking display of pure devotion, we're utterly blown away by it. Again, Mary shows us what pure devotion looks like, which is exactly why Jesus tells Judas, leave her alone. Leave her alone. So that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Again, this is a week before the crucifixion. Because we, we know because bathing was not that common. <laughs> and that there was a pure pound of ointment that was given to Jesus. We know, we can presume that Jesus walked all the way to the cross smelling like a rose. G Mary has anointed Jesus for his burial. He says, the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Again, pure devotion is not a matter of religious performance. It's a matter of personal surrender. Now the problem is, where Mary gets it right, again, she's the one that understands that the man in the living room with her is the one that she needs. She's already gone through the fire. She recognizes who it is that's there. The Jews are busy purifying themselves, missing the man who will be the one who purifies them. Judas, busy with the money bag, looking for the next experience, missing the man who will die even for him. Mary gets it. But the full ugliness of how Jesus is missed is not fully appreciated until you get to verse 9, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there. They came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Can you imagine what that must have been like? 
So the chief priests, we're told, made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. To literally put him back in the tomb right after Jesus had resurrected him. We're told they wanted to do this because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now, as unbelievable as it might be for us to look at the chief priest's responses here, unfortunately, it's not very surprising. Because Jesus threatens the one thing that they care about. The one thing. That is power. They are threatened by Jesus at every turn because this rabbi has authority that they've never seen. And he threatens their place of privilege and power and status. And they want nothing to do with him. They desire power above anything else. Just so happens that Judas desires money above anything else. And in stark contrast to all of them, Mary sacrifices the most valuable thing in her possession. To the lover and to the Lord of her life. This is what we're seeing. I think this is what we can tell purification is. Purification is sacrificing what I want for who I need. What I want for who I need. Jesus. It's as simple as that. But if you want to talk about how hard that really is, all you need to do is look at Judas, the Jews, the chief priests, unfortunately, many of us. Because impurity turns out to be all too common, which is exactly the opposite. Sacrificing who I need, Jesus, for what I want. Money, power, entertainment, status, success, career, sex, whatever it might be. You and I have no shortage of options in this world, my friends. You don't need me to tell you that. <laughs> Unfortunately, we have at our fingertips any, uh, any one of these and we could promote them to the number one in our hearts and in our lives. We have no shortage of options in this world of ours. And I know firsthand because I've struggled myself with every one of them. John Calvin is credited with saying that the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. No matter what good thing gets in there, we mass produce it to as an idol. And we do this by default. We just crank them out, no matter what it is, no matter what good thing we're blessed with, we crank out and make it an idol for ourselves. You know, when I was younger, I never imagined that I would have a money problem. Never imagined that I had the potential of being greedy. I remember watching these cartoons when I was younger and like these banking characters and they're like, they're like conniving ways to get money and they're just really, you know, crooked, pathetic looking. And I'm like, I'm never going to become that. Who would want more money? <laughs> Turns out, <laughs> I want a lot of it. See, I didn't think I had a money problem because I didn't have bills to pay. I didn't realize how expensive it is to live. And all of a sudden, when you've got rent, utilities, gas, insurance, taxes, my goodness, taxes, what a terror. You know, it's just so frustrating to just see it all slip away. 
And all of a sudden being a newlywed, trying to save for a home one day, Lord willing, going through seminary, living through this inflation nightmare that we're in, in California for crying out loud. I all of a sudden found myself down this rabbit hole of trying to scheme up and dream up all different ways to make more money. And in the midst of the pandemic, none of us knew what our job situations were going to look like. And so I tried my hand at a bunch of different side hustles and opportunities. And I began to hunt for ways to make more of the green at every twist and turn that I found. And unaware of all of that, my heart just began to become more twisted with this fixation of getting more money. I've got to find a way to make more money until eventually I began to feel a tug on my heart that I didn't realize. Of the call of God on my life in one hand and my desire for money until eventually the two reached a crisis and I realized I had to choose again. I had to choose what it was that I really wanted to do with my life. And it was in that moment that Jesus' voice echoed in my soul, Ryan, you cannot serve God in money. You got to let one go. (sighs) All right, Lord, forgive me. Once again... Taking a good thing and making it an idol. Lord, you alone, I recognize, are my shield. You are my very great reward. You and you alone. I have none else in heaven but you, O God. You and you alone are my reward. You see, I didn't think I had a money problem because someone else was taking the brunt of life for me. I didn't face the pressures of life. I didn't face the hardships of life. I was more impure than I realized because I had yet to go through the hard times of life where purification actually happens. And again, going back to Mary and Martha, we don't know their marital status. Presumably they're single because they're living with their brother. And in the ancient world, a man was your lifeline if you were a woman. He was their everything, presumably their source of income, their security, their status. Without him, everything is threatened. They didn't ask for that moment. They didn't plan for that moment. But that moment found them. And in the loss of their brother, they're faced with this decision. What is it that we're going to believe about this man from Nazareth? None of us ask for those hard times in life. None of us do. But they find us out. Purification is always involuntary. (laughs) Never asked for, never wanted. Have you ever considered the fact that the gold does not throw itself into the furnace? The gold doesn't want the furnace. The diamonds don't heap the pressure on themselves. It is put on them whether or not they like it. Don't you remember having to be held down while rubbing alcohol was being poured on your wound or you taking a shot or whatever it might be? See, none of this is wanted and yet it's needed. You know, I think one of the biggest misnomers of purity is that we just think it's essential oils and hippie living and peace and easy and clean when in reality it is ugly, painful, full of pressure and never wanted. I remember when I was towards the end of my college years, I was living with six of my buddies. And uh, one of my buddies, it was a great time, but one of my buddies, he went away for a weekend trip to L.A., and he came back with the best souvenir. 
he came back with the stomach flu. <laughs> and I remember that night, this, the noises that Robert, his name was Robert, if he's, you know, at some point, you'll meet him maybe, I don't know. Be like, hey, this is the guy, no. Um, the noises that he was making from his bedroom and the bathroom, we thought it was hilarious, unfortunately. I hate to say, we were terrible friends. <laughs> Guys can be brutal to each other. We thought it was absolutely hilarious. Well, the next day, he gets up, he's better. So we're like, awesome, that's great. So we go off to class, go to, uh, go to work, come back, and we're like, hey, you know what? To celebrate, let's order Chinese food. <laughs> Some of you guys know where, that, where I'm going with this. That night, in each of our stomachs, the Chinese food and the flu had a bit of a rendezvous <laughs> and brought all of us, all six of us, minus Robert, to our knees as we gave it all back. Just gave it all back and some. Before the great porcelain throne, we just gave it all, offered it all and some. Now, I've met a lot of bad vomiters in my day, but my friends, I hate to say, I am the worst. I am like a human accordion that as I scrunch and you just hear my music, as I give it all before the porcelain throne, I just give it out and it's terrible. You guys are like, this is too much information, man. I did not sign up for this. It is so embarrassing. I hate throwing up. It's painful, disgusting, ugly, but you know what? We need to do it. There's no fighting it. You've got to get it out of your system. In fact, if you insist on holding it in, you make a worse mess for yourself. You see, you have to get it out of your system. God's in the business of getting you purified. And he has a very easy way of doing it, making life hard for you and me and getting all of that out of our system. But you know what I think happens to us is that we're in these seasons of life. What happens? We're filled with shame, filled with embarrassment, filled with pain. And if there's anything I could just please say is that if you are in that season, there is no shame. There is no shame. This is for your good. This is for his glory. He is in the business of purifying you of what you have to get out of your body, what you have to get out of your soul. And my friends, he can take it. He doesn't get stained by any of it. He wants it. But the problem is, is that he purifies us when life is hard and when we don't have the very thing that we want. Whatever that thing is, and the hard times of life reveal that thing better than anything. Whether it's you're single and you want that relationship, whether you're jobless and you want that career, whether you are sick chronically and you want that healing, whatever it might be, God's in the business of revealing it. And I'm always so embarrassed, just as I am of, of vomiting, I am so embarrassed to name the things that God has to pur purify me of. Because I think, God, I should know better. I should know better. I don't. I don't know better. If you consider what a poultice is supposed to be, it's a herbal remedy in which herbs and plants are applied to a wound and meant to bring the toxins to the surface. It's exactly the point of what God 
does to us to exercise us of the impurities in our soul. And my friends, it is better for you and for me to surrender and to cooperate because he is going to do it, whether we like it or not. There's great confidence and hope in what Paul tells us to say, but it's also a little bit intimidating when he says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, whether you want to or not. He is going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. None of us asked for this, but praise God, he has given it to us. And so much of this purification process, what I think it looks like is in those moments in which we don't have that very thing that we want, and life is hard, it's in that very moment that we recognize, you know what, Lord, you are the thing that I want. You are the thing that I need. Thank you once again for giving me who I need. Tim Keller says, you, will, you don't realize Jesus is all you have, or you don't realize that Jesus is all you need. Until Jesus is all you have. The times of life that are hard, difficult, shameful, they find us out. Now you might sit here and sit there and say, you know what, Ryan, but the things that I want, they're not bad. Right? I want good things. What's the deal? I mean, I, I, are you telling me that I shouldn't want to be in a, in a fulfilling marriage or have a fulfilling career or be able to provide for my family? Are you telling me that it's bad to want those things? By no means am I saying that. And by no means does Jesus say that. If you go back to money, for instance, money is able to do a whole lot of good in this world. Poverty is not in God's vision for humanity to thrive. And praise God, there's poverty that's being eradicated around the world, and it should continue to be done so. The problem is not with money, my friends. The problem is with me. The problem is not with the things we want. Whereas Paul says in Timothy, it is the love of money. That is a root of all kinds of evil. You see, the reason why purification is so important is that the way we want things is deadly. That I want money above all else. I'm going to sacrifice whatever I need to do to get it. I'm going to do it at no holds barred, zero-sum game. Whatever consequences there are, I don't care. I'm going to be rich. The way you and I want the good things of this world will kill us. You just consider the example of Judas. It is Judas's love of money that, ironically enough, motivates him to turn his back on everything he believes in, sell out his rabbi, and commit suicide in the very field that he would have bought and paid for. It is the chief priest's desire for power and the people's desire for independence that will bring the Romans down upon them and destroy them and their nation. The way that they wanted it killed them the way you and I want it kills us. Eventually, the consequences of our idolatry play out in our lives and the things that we care about most, very often or not, are the things that suffer because of that. I think one of the hardest areas for me to fully accept this is with the particular idol that is hardest for me to let go of. 
and that is ministry. You see, and I'm, I'm stealing this example from Jeremy Johnson, but I think it's such a good example. I want my, na- my, my life to be like this. Jesus in neon, giving Jesus to the people, but then at a, at a little bottom part, which is still visible, you see this other part <laughs> that hopefully sends the message, right? Jesus. Brought to you by Ryan Lundy. And the people talk about, wow, look look at what Ryan Lundy has done. And look at all that he's able to do. And look at how greatly he does X, Y, or Z or whatever it might be. This is the idol of my heart. And so you take a guy like me with an idol like that and you put him in the nightmare that was COVID. And all the challenges and changes and the unpredictable chaos that we were living in. You know, I hate to say, I went into COVID thinking that I had it. I was like, you know what? I'm a creative, capable, confident guy. I got this. Yeah, it turns out that I was dead wrong. Seemed like everything that I tried to do as a ministry leader turned to dust in my hands. Every event that I thought was going to be a success was a flop. Every initiative that I had went nowhere. It seemed like all the energy that I spent doing different things went nowhere. And pastors have this particular ability to to compare. And so as I'm looking at other ministries that I'm familiar with or other ministry leaders that are sharing their successes, man, do I feel like a total fraud and failure until finally at some point last year, I was sitting out in a chair looking out on my in-laws' property. My wife and I live on my, my, property, my, my in-laws' property in Valley Center. Looking out, and in a moment of openness and bitterness, I asked God, what are you doing? It seems like everything that I've done, everything that I'm striving to be, everything that I've poured out has gone absolutely nowhere. God Similar to Mary and Martha, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. What in the world were you doing, waiting? And again, in that moment of openness and bitterness, the Lord said to me, Ryan, what if this season is only teaching you how to lose? Because you know what? My son was a loser in the eyes of the world. And when you're a loser in the eyes of the world, you're in good company. Yeah, Lord, I get that, but you need me to do all sorts of good things for you. You need me to do... (laughs) You, I need you? Ryan... I've already done everything that needs to be done. I've done everything that needs to be done, and I've done it for you. Is this really about me? Or is this about you? All right, Lord. Ryan, feed my sheep. Love the least of these and pick up your cross and follow me. You see, in that moment, 
what I think the Lord did for me was he forced me into that moment in which at a deeper part of my life, he opened me up to receiving more fully in the place where I didn't have what I wanted to receive the sacrifice of the one I needed yet again. Ryan, I died for failures. I didn't die for successes. I died for failed pastors, not saviors of the world. I am the savior of the world. You see, what, what Mary demonstrates for us is that when we sign on to this process in which we are purified of what we want for who we need, we are able to provide a pure devotion. Now, we don't fully know what Mary was thinking when she was doing this. We don't fully know if she even understood the significance of her act. And we don't fully know whether or not she understood the full uh, ramifications of what Jesus was going to do for her on that cross in a week's time. But we do know that she received him at a core part of her heart. And taking a different scene from the Gospels in which Jesus is in Mary and Martha's heart. And Martha is busy with all the preparations. All the things that need to get done. Asking, Lord, don't you care about all the things that I'm doing? All the things that you don't seem to be aware of, God. Don't you care about me? Jesus' response to her, just as much to you and me today, is to say, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. A few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. You see, in that moment, when she anoints Jesus with one of her most prized possessions, washes him with the most intimate symbol of her femininity, at a very core level, I have to believe that she's receiving the sacrifice for her on her behalf in a way that supplies for all of her needs. You see, God provides his son for us, the one that we most desperately need. And even in the midst of this, Paul is quick to remind us that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God loves giving good gifts, my friends. But he's not in the business of spoiling his kids. He's in the business of perfecting them and purifying them in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. The only way we can truly sacrifice our dearest wants is for us to totally receive God's dearest sacrifice for us. There's no emotion in this moment, no resolutions that we can make, no amount of energy that we can drum up that will allow us to fully get all that junk out of us. We have to receive him more deeply. And we have to receive him in the very place of wanting, waiting, and hurting that we don't want to. Two questions. What's the thing that you need to surrender to him this season? could be many things. Usually, 
There's a couple of big ones. But what is it for you? And where in your life do you need to more deeply receive Jesus this season? Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you that you are the one that we need. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one that has been provided. None of us asked for this, Lord, but you gave it to us. None of us deserve it, Lord, least of all you, but you took it upon yourself in order for us to give, in order for us to get what it is that you deserve, Lord. Lord, I pray for every person in here, myself, most especially myself, Lord. Enable us to more fully receive what it is you've done in order for us to offer the desires of our hearts so prone to idolize and to hold up, God, would you purify us of all impurity. Lord, apart from you, we can't do it. And so, Lord, would you help us? The power in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.